Hello and welcome to A Life Less Ordinary with me, Sophie Elwes. For this final episode of the podcast, I am doing something a little bit different. A few people over the years of producing this podcast have told me that I should put an episode out about my own story. So I've decided to do just that for this last one. I tell my story starting from when I was younger, sustaining my spinal cord injury and the aftermath after that, um, taking us up to the present day. Um, I talk about my podcast and um, what I've learned from speaking to all of these amazing people over the years um, and the pieces of advice that have stayed with me. A big thank you to my very good friend Sarah Orr for being my interviewer and thank you to you for listening. A huge thank you to the sponsors of this series of the podcast by Sarah London. They're a natural B Corp certified skincare brand with such an inspiring founding story. Sarah first formulated natural skincare to repair her sister's skin when she was recovering from an aggressive form of leukemia. The sisters then teamed up to launch their now multi-award-winning skincare line, which is loved by those with stressed and sensitive skin. I'm so inspired by their story and their beautiful products, and I'm so pleased to be partnering up with a brand like this. They have very kindly given listeners of this podcast 20% off their gorgeous skincare. So if you head over to their website, buysarahlondon.com, and use the code LIFE20, for 20% off. My personal favourite is the Hero Facial Oil. It was Sarah's original formulation and is their bestseller. It is just gorgeous and makes my skin feel so soothed and nourished. Thank you so much. Bye, Sarah London. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sophie. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. This feels kind of weird being uh, on the other side of the table, as it were. Well, I'm very excited to be talking to you today, and I'm I'm so happy that you asked me to do this. I'm really, honestly, I'm delighted Absolutely. to be part of this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll hand hand it over, hand over the baton, then. So you know, your podcast has just been, it's just been. You've had some uh, fabulous people on, telling amazing stories and just the variety of people and the variety of guests the, the different experiences of people and people's just people just being so open and sharing their stories and being so vulnerable um it's just it's high time that we heard your story <laughs> how do you feel about sharing your story yeah i i feel we were just chatting before a little bit um and i was saying about how the podcast has actually really informed me and my life in so many ways you know speaking to all of these people who are really impressive and have been through kind of major major challenges and you know a a pretty diverse group of people in many ways um it's taught me so much and um I think yeah I've I've my life has genuinely genuinely been informed by the conversations I've had and my my decisions and yeah um and you know so yeah I'm I'm excited to to do this I think we'll see how it goes and you know I want to ask you a little bit more about about the 
the podcast in general and and where your ideas came for creating it from a bit later but first off I want to ask you what you were like growing up what were you like what was what was mini Sophie like mini Sophie mini Sophie was um she was a little tomboy I'm not sure that's correct kind of language to use right now but that's certainly what what I would have called myself when I was younger yeah yeah I um was kind of quite determined I was very small (laughs) I was like the smallest in my school for like two years I think something like that very determined Uh, yeah grew up in London um and yeah I think I was you know I had two brothers so I was sort of you know playing playing with them fighting with them wrestling with them at times um yeah definitely not a kind of Barbie kind of girl more of a an action man uh Mm. That sort of thing. Uh, schools. I love playing schools. <laughs> I loved school generally. Really, really liked it. Had lots of friends, you know, growing up. I and I just, yeah, I really enjoyed school, like right the way through, to be honest. What were your favorite subjects? Ooh. Um, I mean, I think the thing I loved about school most was the sort of extracurricular stuff. You know, it was yeah. the sport and the music and the drama and that sort of thing. That's what really made me happy. So I think my my favorite subjects were like drama. Love that. Um, bit of English, music, enjoyed that, I would say. And then you, you went on to uni straight after school, is that right? I took a year off um, after school, which was you know amazing to have the opportunity to do that. I, um, I did a bit of travelling, um, but first I went out to Ghana. I lived there for like four months or three months, and then I went like travelling up kind of, like West Africa up to Mali. I did um, not know this. <laughs> did you not? Yeah, I was like volunteering. It's kind of I don't know, a little bit cliche in some ways, but it was an amazing experience. You know, living with a family in kind of rural Ghana. It was amazing. It was just such a yeah, such a joy to do that. And I was teaching in a school there, which was yeah, a really cool experience. Um, and then yeah, traveling was was it was a bit wild to be honest. And you know, I was like eighteen, and and I went with. Um, a friend that I'd met out there she was great and we we it was kind of rogue we like traveled up and now Mali is you know quite dangerous it's kind of you're recommended not to travel there but it was fine then Um, but yeah it was it was a little bit rogue some of the decisions that we made (laughs) on that trip but it was amazing and Ghana is just yeah it's incredible I'd like to go back to be honest it's been on my mind a little bit to to go back you know now post-injury and all of that but um yeah it was amazing and then I did did traveling after that like um Southeast Asia and stuff which was cool and then uni yeah started started uni and what did you study at uni um I studied sociology I was gonna study drama that's what I was always wanting to do and then just before I was like yeah you know what I don't want to be an actor and everyone here is super super into that um so I was like sociology it sounds good I was kind of interested in in that stuff wow so tell me what what were you like at that at that stage of your life when you're just finishing uni and just like going out into the world of work yeah so I was um I was quite you know kind of sociable um partying going out um 
was was kind of priority for me really as it is with a lot of like you know 20 22 year olds um I guess um but yeah it was the my priorities were kind of social life um you know what was cool was really important you know cool places to go cool people all of all of that stuff I was definitely quite a lot more shallow (laughs) than I am now um and then yeah I I um I I tell the story of kind of what what happened um I was yeah I I was out at a party um and I was sitting on the edge of a roof terrace basically um and I don't remember I remember like the day before up to about 12 o'clock make trying to decide whether I was going to go to the party or not um and I kind of blanked out in a way and I my understanding is that's shock that that kind of does that um and yeah so basically I was sitting on a roof terrace and I fell off I lost my balance um and I fell like I think it was about eight meters or something it's like two and a half stories so pretty high um and I yeah sustained a number of kind of injuries I like Hurt, I broke my shoulder. It feels so long since I've talked about this. It's such a distant memory in a way. Um, but yeah, I, I broke my shoulder, um, broke my back, um, and I also hit my head. Um, and then from there, I was taken to hospital, um, to King's College Hospital. And I was in an induced coma for like five and a half weeks. And I think at that time, you know, because I'd hit my head, um, the worry was whether I would kind of have a traumatic brain injury and, you know, what would be the outcome of that. They knew that I'd had a spinal cord injury. Um, but I think, yeah, I remember my parents saying after that, you know, that was kind of less of a a concern at that stage, you know, because Mm -hmm. you don't know what the outcome of a, you know, brain injury could be. Um, and I was really, really unwell. I had like pneumonia. I was put on a tracky, um, mm. and it was really touch and go. Um, they they said I had like forty percent chance of surviving at that stage. Um, so just, I mean, I obviously was out, and um, you know, I think just a really, really rough time for my family. I can't even imagine. You know, it does feel like a lot. I mean, it was a long time ago now, but you know, I think just that experience must have been really, um, yeah just really awful for them it's it's there's something so um interesting about the way you the the way you talk about it like it feels like such a long time ago and it it feels so distant sometimes I wonder if if that's almost like like a protect protective mechanism that you do yeah maybe because I know sometimes thinking back to my own accident it almost feels like a bad dream and it, sometimes it even feels like something that happened to someone else really mm-hmm. yeah I think mm. I think you know when I was newly injured I definitely would would want to make people aware that you know and that was totally internalized ableism make people aware that I'd had an accident and I wasn't always like this I wasn't born like this and and absolutely internalized ableism through and through and so I guess I would I don't know be more open to talking about it but also back then I feel like so many people asked what happened to you then what happened to you now it's just maybe because I'm just not in those spaces anymore or I'm not <laughs> in black cabs when they, I remember when I was at uni post-injury and I got 
you know, with access to student uh, disability students allowance, you get like a taxi every day. I got one in the early stages and every single time, what happened to you then? What happened to you? And oh my God. So yeah, I guess I'm saying like, I would talk about it more freely back then. And now it's, you know, it's not about that. It's, and I, you know, I talk about it here and on my podcast, you know, it's, it's important. It's context for sure. And it's absolutely informed the rest of my life, you know, um but I think for me it wasn't you know that initial thing that happened it was the aftermath really that was the most challenging to be honest because when you're lying in a hospital bed when you're in ICU getting the most incredible care like really you know the nurses that I had it was just like absolutely you know top class really incredible that I I had that um and I found out how much it would have cost you know that all that time in ICU just crazy so Mm. Very grateful for NHS. Um, But yeah, it was the aftermath, really. It was the, you know, I went into Stoke Mandeville Spinal Unit, um, which, you know, again, I was lucky to go in there um, and have rehab and then getting out of hospital. You know, that's where the challenges began. Tell me what it was like when you first came out of the spinal unit. Yeah. So I think being in the spinal unit, it was really actually pretty positive experience. Although, no, in the early, early stages of being there, I was just in the early stages of being in hospital after being out of ICU, being more conscious of whatever. I was just broken. I just I just cried. I just cried like so much sitting there with my mum and just I cried until I didn't have any more tears left like and yeah it was massively mourning that situation even though I I wasn't out and about I didn't realize what what it would mean um and then when I went to kind of rehab and started learning how to live again I was kind of motivated by that you know the physios were amazing um like they were really you know I think I I was like I said before I was always determined when I was even when I was little I was very determined if I was going to do something I would make it happen you know um try you know figure out a way of making it happen um so I I kind of clicked into that to their way of wanting to motivate me to you know learn to do things so I was like okay this is the challenge and and genuinely you know I have talked about this before actually but I think you know even though I say I was broken in those early stages just so many tears and you know even though I was massively well supported you know just incredible I remember like at Stoke Mandeville every day almost someone would come and see me you know it was just really really incredible but at the same yeah I think in those early stages again kind of jumping around a bit but this was something I spoke about on in my conversation with Mo Gowda, I feel like I'm massively name dropping, but you know, it's my podcast. I can. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> I taught, I, I mentioned, I remember a point of being in ICU still and thinking, okay, this is really shit. This is really, really shit. Um, but maybe, maybe there's, you know, an opportunity here, maybe actually. And I think I, on sort of deciding what I was going to do career wise, I made the decision over that sort of over a while that I was going to do teaching. I was going to train to be a primary school teacher because I'd thought about it a bit before and I decided that events wouldn't work anymore. I I 
just was going to be too difficult in a wheelchair and I yeah I wasn't there going to do that um and I yeah I remember thinking you know this this could like you know kind of set me apart in a way I could do something good with it you know it could be an opportunity and that was really really early on and there's something so extraordinary about that when it's like the way that you say you know you felt completely broken and actually waking up in ICU and and being given all all this horrendous news I presume that's where you were told what Mm. had happened and and what the likely outcome was going to be and then having to deal with with all of that but and 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 see your family going through it too alongside you but to have that little chink of light and that kind of clear thought in your mind Mm. I think I've been I'm an eternal optimist and I think it was that and I I think I thought the world was at a place where you know there would be opportunities you know um and that actually people kind of would recognize that you know inclusion was important and representation was important and so you were I, having all these thoughts really early, quite early on. Yeah, I just remember that like quite significant thought about, mm. you know, maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe I can, you know, make good of this. But, but you know, I wasn't having po- many positive thoughts in those early stages. Really, I was very like just super, super low and just sad. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, then doing kind of rehab and, you know, making progress there and getting stronger i mean shall i tell the story about you know the the start of the rehab because this is one that has really stuck with me in those early stages before i had actually gone to stoke mandeville i was um with some physios and they were gonna they were teaching me how i would transfer from the bed to the wheelchair and they explained what I would do. I had a sliding board and they explained that I would like lift myself up using my arms, lift up my body weight and move myself over. And at that time, you know, I'd been in a bed for two months. I'd been really, really ill. I'd lost a lot of weight, a lot of muscle. And I was like absolutely convinced that that was not going to be possible for me. I remember this so well and thinking like and and saying even Oh, I don't know if I said this, but like maybe other people, you know, can do that. Maybe other people, that's what they do. But I just know that I I won't be able to do that. I remember that so well, which is just bonkers thinking now. Like I don't even think twice about, you know, jumping on the sofa or whatever. (laughs) I remember when I was in the spinal unit, this kind of links on quite nicely, actually. But um, Back Up, Spinal Injuries Charity came in and ran a wheelchair skills session and I was like really pretty newly injured at that stage um but uh running that session were you know a few wheelchair skills trainer trainers one of whom was called Jane um and they all introduced themselves and she said that she was a Paralympic ski racer and I was like what hello um and so I went to like chat to her after and I you know when I was pre-injury like I I always enjoyed sport I always enjoyed you know I enjoyed skiing I hadn't like 
done it loads it's not as though I sort of did it every year but I did it a few times and I really enjoyed it and I just like sort of adrenaline stuff you know I always wanted to go on like the rides in a theme park and you know if there was like an adventurous activity I'd be up for it um so I went to chat to her afterwards and she was like oh yeah you should you know apply for the course um and so I did I was like absolutely you know this sounds amazing yeah the backup ski course and then so I got out of hospital um and I, you know, that was in hospital. I actually had a really, really positive experience for the most part. Once I started rehab and I stopped, you know, crying and crying and crying, um, I, there was a real community there of other people in a similar situation, all guys pretty much. There was really yeah. very few other women in the hospital with me at that stage. You know, I think the demographic has changed quite a lot. Um, you know, now it's sort of older people and, you know, probably a mix of men and women I don't know maybe still more men probably um but yeah this a group of people that I was with and we were just really like you know getting along and it was you know I've I've said this before like spinal cord injury doesn't discriminate it can happen to anyone so there I was at Stoke you know mates with a hairdresser from Norwich um a cement mixer from Bromley um and we were just like taking the piss out of each other and just you know you know yeah. making making really the best out of a situation and the support that that we gave each other was just amazing and I think that was my first glimpse into actually how important that community is you know in this situation and actually for any situation really it's been a huge learning from the podcast is you know f- I don't like, you know, find your tribe is, is I don't like that term really. Um, but actually finding people in a similar situation is everything, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And when it's something so life-changing at every single level, it's, I just think it's, I don't know how people, it was so much, so much harder for people to cope if they don't manage to get into a spinal unit. Mm. That, that I think that's some of the best sort of psychological support you can have is to be around other people going through completely and also to similar. see what is possible that was the really instrumental thing for me and and actually going on that course you know that was I mean so in those early stages right I came out of hospital and I I was like like lots of others internalized ableism yet again I didn't really want to have like you know mates in in wheelchairs I had my life I had loads of friends you know and I came out of hospital and I still wanted that life I was refused to believe that I had to change it you know so I would continue to do what I did and see my friends and go go out and I kind of soon realized that going out was as in going to clubs or whatever wasn't really that enjoyable or whatever but you know I go to house parties and things for for a time and you know, I was back then I'd happily be like carried up, had lots of great mates who were happy to happy to do that, which was amazing at the time because I thought that's what I that's what fun was and that's what I, I wanted. And um but and I refused to sort of believe that that, that was, you know, I, I had to change or I wanted to change. But that that stage of being out of hospital was just the hardest part of all, like first few weeks I didn't want to go outside I just I was so aware of people looking at me it was just crippling almost you know it was really it was so self-conscious um and I you know 
I've sort of mentioned it on the podcast a little bit before, but like, you know, I had a really, really good friend who, you know, we, we kind of, yeah, we didn't continue being friends basically. I think it was, it was too difficult. Um, and I always thought that when I was in hospital and I was preparing to go back, I was like, you know, I have them by my side. Um, and that, really and you know there's no kind of bad blood and you know there's forgiveness and all of that sort of stuff you know but that was really really hard because you know I needed need, thought I needed someone beside me and you know not having a boyfriend then as well I you know I, it might have been a lot easier in those early stages to have someone I was still going to parties and that sort of thing I say it as if I never go to them now i kind of you know that's not my priority anymore um it would have been you know very easy to have someone you know especially when there's a few steps to get in or whatever but with hindsight really I am so glad that I didn't have one then because you know I'm so independent and more than that like I can do things by myself without you know I don't need I don't need you know that support necessarily and that has served me really well, I think. It's not just a physical independence thing, it's a psychological independence thing massively, as well. Massively. And you developed all of that. Yeah. But that Early first on, year really. was was grim. It was just awful. I didn't want to engage with, you know, other people or services. Um, and I was really, really unhappy. Really, really unhappy. And um, it was actually the Paralympics then. I was injured in 2011. So the Paralympics was in 2012 when I was at home. And I remember so well sitting in my bedroom watching it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And obviously it was in London. There was like great publicity around it. And oh, just watching all of those sort of Paralympians, you know, just doing amazing things on a you know, big stage like that was so inspiring for me at that stage. And I hadn't, you know, got good dreams about sport, but it was amazing timing. Mm. And it started to be more part of public consciousness about people with disabilities. You know, there was other programs, sure. you know, there yeah. was other programs, you know, on Channel 4 in particular about disability and the experience and stuff that wasn't necessarily related to to the Paralympics which oh the timing was amazing for me I remember that so well I watched all of it you know I lapped it up really yeah totally um but yeah I mean that that stage was so so hard and then so, so like so, sorry this is yeah. before this is before you went skiing before that. I went skiing yeah so yeah that was actually that was actually it I um my mum mentioned to me once about mentoring she'd heard about mentoring at backup and I initially I was like, mm, no, I'm okay. I don't need that. And I totally understand that, you know, having worked in the mentoring team and obviously, you know, working as services manager now, like I do understand that. And the terminology can be off-putting sometimes for people. But um, I, you know, I did, you know, I had a conversation with them and, you know, I got matched up um with Sophie Morgan, which was pretty, pretty incredible, you know, and we ended up meeting and it was meeting other people in a similar situation, like, you know, seeing Jane in the spine unit, other women who were just killing it, you know, and, yeah, and seeing, seeing what was, yeah, like a little bit older, been through it. And, you know, she could tell me like, you know, like, for example, being carried up the stairs to go to a house party. It was her that, you know, I, I remember having this conversation with her and, you know, I, I thought that I needed to kind of do it myself, go up the stairs in my chair and like you're talking in the spine unit. No one tells you in the spine unit, oh, just get someone to carry you up. No, no, absolutely not. 
but she she was you know she was the one to tell me that and it was just meeting other people you know other women who were just doing incredible things you know that made me see what life could look like you know and that was just huge and I'm so grateful for that you know um so you know I applied to go on the ski course and then literally a year after I had my injury I went on the course and I was so nervous I really you you can't you know take friends or family with you You go on your own there's buddies there's group leaders there's other participants but I was oh I was so nervous I was so newly injured and but Colorado is a long old way away as well yeah were you nervous about the traveling um I don't think I was so nervous about that to be honest I probably probably at the time a lot of people are I think that's the thing you know that's a huge part of the course and why you know it's yeah. really impactful because the opportunity to you know go on a long-haul flight like that um in a sort of safe environment um but yeah I think it was just kind of all, all of the concerns the whole you know? thing but yeah. this yeah it was just it was incredible the experience it was completely completely life-changing and the the abiding thing for me is just the meeting other people in a similar situation you know it was a great group out there you know a few other it was quite a young course which was really cool and other people who you know little shallow Sophie at the time it was you know people who were cool and they were like you know doing sort of you know getting drunk and like you know all of that stuff and ski races as well like you know Jane was just it was amazing and seeing what was possible and the fact that you could go and ski a mountain and be completely independent but also yeah just those conversations with other people and being able to talk about you know the stuff that you know affects you after spinal cord injury like bladder and you know dealing with that and talking to other people and you know just being like oh my god someone else who gets it you know and that that was a real shift for me in realizing that actually it was okay to be friends with other people it might actually be kind of helpful and that is my advice now for anyone you know who's going through something like that like seek out other people in a similar situation and now having been at a point where I didn't want to have friends in wheelchairs or you know my closest friends my absolute closest friends are in a similar situation to me you know mm. <laughs> but that's kind of it's kind of happened naturally and organically and <clears throat> in your own time like it wasn't forced upon you yeah really like yeah. I used to think wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it be amazing if as soon as somebody comes out of spinal rehab they they go on a backup course as soon as mm. possible mm. and they have all that sort of continued peer support but then I think, hold on, Sarah, you did not want to do that when you were first injured. Yeah. You wanted to have, just like you, a couple of years of not being around people in wheelchairs and yeah. trying to just be, you know, in quotes, normal. Yeah. Going back to that life. and But then you, but then I came to it after three years and then I was 100%. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've definitely talked to like service users a bit about that before. You know, it's, it's your journey and, you know, you just got to do it in at your own pace and it's you know that course just changed everything for me really you know and I'm so glad that I went on it and I just I kind of yeah I just knew that I needed to and I was lucky that I you know had that opportunity because other people you know they don't know about this stuff and they you know they don't have those opportunities and it yeah I really I think the meeting other people is yeah huge yeah yeah absolutely um 
so I think like from from there just to kind of carry on the story I came back and I started doing my teach training course so I did a PGC which was super challenging for me at that stage it was well it was really really great to have you know the course and something to occupy me and I you know really enjoyed the academic side of it to be honest you know that kind of child psychology and you know having having something to to keep me busy was great because all my friends were you know they were working they were busy they were getting on with their careers and stuff um but the the actual teaching bit was super super challenging to be honest um you know and I always this is this is me being totally totally real and honest I had this real realization the other day um in that so I I always sort of said it was too early to to do that and it was also you know when I had my injury I I hit my head and lost my hearing um in my right ear which just you know it's massive and an absolute pain and I've said on more than one occasion that it's more annoying you know being kind of partially deaf than not being able to walk to be honest um but Mm -hmm. yeah like teaching at that stage you know it was difficult you know schools aren't always accessible and all of that stuff but actually having kind of done a fair bit of work particularly in recent years uh, and you know much of that being around kind of self-worth and and people pleasing being a sort of part of that that was kind of you know I've always in the past I would have described myself as a bit of a people pleaser and actually uh, and this is probably going into too much detail but the reason why I found teaching such a challenge at that stage was because you know that that have you ever heard the saying teachers don't smile until Christmas no basically as a teacher you need to have a stern face you need to have all the the boundaries you can't be like happy friendly doesn't doesn't work because you don't get the kids respect and that I went into it being like yeah I'm gonna be nice Miss Sophie you know and it didn't it was challenging you know it was yeah it was just for for a number of reasons it was really difficult but I'm you know it was great to have that opportunity and I had to get through the course I just like I you know determined yeah so I I kind of eventually got to the end of it I say eventually because it was really tricky to find schools to have my placement in because they were all inaccessible which in itself is really hard being a teacher in a wheelchair you know I was so optimistic I was like yeah it's gonna be great you know and you know the the uni they had a lot of students and they didn't in my mind to my mind accommodate me like I maybe wanted them to which was a little disappointing um but yeah it was really really it was kind of just a bit of a a tough time and a bit of a slog to be honest um and having been skiing I basically at that stage it was really my my dad passed away so he had had cancer um a few times and he had it while I was in hospital um which was just horrific um and it was just yeah awful for my mum um and so yeah in, in those sort of early stages he um He passed away while I was um, towards the end of the teaching um, period. And it was just, yeah, it was obviously, you know, really heavy and just awful. And, you know, the the combination of that um, following on from that, a, a few months or even six months or so after that, I made the decision that I wanted to get away. You know, I wanted to kind of 
spread my wings a little bit and you know I was living with my mum and you know she was amazing and I was you know being very well looked after her you know she would you know take care of me but I I I wanted to sort of figure out who who I was a little bit and so I decided and I actually when I went out to the ski course first time around I said then that I would come back I was going to come back and do like a season. Um, I think I said a season the first time around, but I, really? I, yeah, I, in this really, really early stages, cause I knew like, you know, being the level of injury I am, I, um, it was difficult, you know, and no core mono skiing. Oh my God. So many falls, so many falls, tantrums, like whacking that outriggers on the snow and just so much frustration. Um, so I knew I would need, you know, some real time to practice because I wanted to be decent. The idea was that I wanted to go and away with friends and stuff and I didn't want to fall over all the time. So I knew I'd need some significant time to practice. So it was quite kind of the timing was was good. My dad left me a, a bit of money and it meant that I could go away on that trip. Um, and I like to think that he would be really pleased with that's how I how I kind of spent it and how I sort of did that. Cause yeah, he was like me. He was kind of a, a daredevil mm. and a speed demon. Um, so yeah, I, I went away for a season, you know, for five months. Um, and it was kind of like a gap here, I guess, post injury. And I stayed in a place which wasn't completely accessible, which was, you know, that was a real challenge in itself. That was part of the, part of the challenge and not having my mum around to just help me out as I needed and, and all of that stuff. And just really to like, to learn how to ski and find out who I was away from my old life, you know, that was kind of in, in the, in the shadows in a way. I, I just think there's something, I mean, not to sound, I really hope this doesn't sound patronizing, but to have the wherewithal and the and just the the emotional strength to that's a lot that's a, it's so much to go through losing your dad on top of everything that had happened mm. just a, what two three years before mm. and your life changing then and then changing all over again mm -hmm. and then yeah just have just dealing with all of that and then being where did you find the motivation to plan such a Huge I, I think it trip. was because I was pretty unhappy at home, you know, not at home, but in London, you know, the teaching, it was, it was more showing me what I, what was challenging about my situation, you know, it was, you know, there was so many things about, you know, getting around the school and not hearing kids properly and all of that stuff. It was highlighting the sort of the, the less, you know, not, not the positives about, my life you know um and I just I knew that I needed something you know I needed to sort of yeah spread my wings I guess to sort of yeah I don't know I don't really know where it kind of came from but the skiing was a great opportunity to do that you know um and, and yeah months. oh my god yeah it was a long time it was a long time I was away for Christmas I didn't come back for Christmas it was, yeah, it was very cool. Um, and it was kind of during that time. So I, you know, I was skiing every day and I loved it. It was great, but a lot of falls, a lot of frustration. And that was very formative for me as well, you know. Um, 
And then after a couple of months, I mean, the, there were ski races out there. So Winter Park, NSCD is the sort of the the ski school, I guess, for adaptive skiing. And there was loads of ski races, you know, from all over the world. Yeah. Um, and they were all racing. They were doing gates. And I got to know them. You know, it's very sociable out there. Lots of, you know, there was like one club and bars and stuff like that. And, you know, so that was there was a real community, which was very fun. Um and so yeah after after a couple of months it was you know start skiing some gates so you know practicing kind of giant slalom and and things like that and you know with hindsight it was way too early to to get into that I mean it was it was exciting and I was like oh you know Paralympics was on the mind kind of thing um and yeah with hindsight I would have carried on you know just free skiing for quite a lot longer to really you know hone those skills but you know I was I was like yeah let's do it it's exciting yeah, um, borrow that competitive. Scheme. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's just that, that sort of, you know, that that excitement. That's what that's what I'd sort of seen before me around, you know, Paralympians and things like that. And so, yeah, I think you know this this part of of you know the journey. I think feels kind of I don't know significant in a way because I I then from there I I came back and I finished off the teaching qualification actually I still had a little bit to do a final placement so I did that and then I was like yeah now is skiing that is the thing because you know really being able to to just ski independently and you know that's the beauty about adaptive skiing sit skiing you can you can do it all you can really in theory you can do moguls you can do like terrain parks you can you know ski double black diamonds I mean I was never never that good but um yeah I mean that was way 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 more appealing and having that glimpse of what was possible and and then basically I went out again for a, maybe three months I think the following year to train and it was during that time that one of the the British team were out there um and one of the coaches um I was kind of doing some like gate training and and he saw me and he saw me kind of going down this hill and I was like fast <laughs> but like you know not massively stylish but I think being a girl in a in a mono ski there are not that many of them so he was like yeah great like and so I said you know you should come come and you know train with us when you get back um and so yeah that's where that kind of that chapter started and I started going to training camps with them um with like the development team I joined them so going to like Austria um go to Holland there was a giant fridge there an indoor ski slope at Landgraf um and yeah, just like lots and lots of training camps, which is, it was a really exciting in many ways. And I, I just had my eyes on kind of Paralympics and that's where I wanted to, to go. And then, you know, being lucky enough to go to, you know, America in the winter for a few months at a time and, you know, working hard on that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a weird one because, you know, I, I felt like it towards the end of that period, I I did that for sort of maybe three, three years, I think. But towards the end of that period, that last season, I was really, I was having a hard time, you know, in my head. And I, you know, the racing, I enjoyed, I, I loved skiing, but the racing just wasn't good for me. You know, I found it really difficult and I would 
beat myself up like crazy you know I just I wasn't very kind to myself and I would compare myself like mad to other people and you know in training I was I was all right I was decent but you know get get into a race course and I would yeah just it was a real struggle for me um and towards the end of of well no during that final season I remember like feeling super conflicted like I was it was such an amazing opportunity to be out there like living in Colorado you know no one gets to do that it was it was incredible in so many ways but I was so unhappy you know I was feeling really depressed and there was a moment you know when I there was a race out there it was like a charity race and I remember I had like a panic attack and I was like I just I was in such a bad way and it was in that moment that I realized I don't have to do this. I can actually do what I want in my life. I can, you know, it's super cheesy, but I can carve my own destiny. And I think I'd been looking at these people that I admired so much that had, you know, done that stuff and been to the Paralympics. And I really believe that that's what I needed to do in order to sort of, you know, be successful or or be worthy even in a deeper in a deeper way that's what I thought I needed to do and I had sort of you know I thought that everyone back home was like oh you know Sophie's gift's gonna go to the Paralympics all that sort of stuff but I realized in that moment I didn't have to do that and I could do whatever the fuck I wanted in my life and it was the most liberating thing ever and after that I you know hung up my ski boots ski race skis and the rest of that time, the rest of that season, I just free skied and I'd never skied so well. You know, I was just, yeah, it was amazing <laughs> compared to trying to trying to race and trying to just battle with the demons about all of that stuff. So yeah, then, then after that, I think I was about to turn 30 and I was like, okay, I need to come back home. I need to move out of my mom's house. I need to get a job. Let's get on with life kind of thing. And it was at that point there was, um, I got a job in the mentoring team at Backup. There are so many brave choices <laughs> just listening to all of that it would have, because it would have been would have been easier to 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 try and keep going and 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 not decide actually I'm going to be really honest with myself and it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks I need to look after myself here yeah it's a huge it was a huge thing and I kind of wish it had happened sooner but I'm so glad that I did you know realizing I could you can do whatever you want and success doesn't need to look like it does for other people and yeah yeah it's not a box ticking exercise no. it's not and you can you, you can make stuff happen for yourself you know if you want success whatever that looks like I think that's the thing I was you know I think I wanted a platform you know and I thought I needed to be a Paralympian in order to do that and actually you can you know you can make stuff you can make stuff happen it doesn't need to look like it does for everyone else Okay, so so just to fast forward a little bit, what where did you get the idea for your podcast? And am I right that you started that just was it just before the pandemic? Yeah, so the podcast, the idea for that came actually from when I was on a training camp. I was in Austria, um, and I was having this conversation with one of my fellow athletes, um, and she was just remarkable. You know, she's deafblind and she's a medical student, um, and I remember just thinking, like, you know these people like you know they 
there are just so many amazing stories that I'm, I feel so privileged to be hearing, you know, people from all over the world with all sorts of kind of different disabilities and life stories, you know, blind skiers from Chile and, you know, an amputee from Japan and like just all of them have incredible stories. And, you know, the public don't hear about, you know, they hear about, you know, the, the gold medalist or the world champion, but you know, there are so many more and, you know, being the way that I am, you know, I, I wanted people to, I wanted to hear these stories. So I was always curious about people. Um, so yeah, that's where it came from really. And it was, I wanted to kind of get those stories out to to more people really, not just about, you know, people with disabilities, but just, I think it was also, you know, being aware that actually going through challenge, you know, can really create growth a lot of the time. So I was interested to kind of explore that a little bit more. So that's where that idea came from. And I, I started it just before the pandemic, actually. Um, I did the first episode with Alexandra. Um, so what's the process been like of creating the podcast and doing all these amazing interviews? And what are your highlights? Do you have any any real moments that stand yeah. out that you're happy to share? Yeah. So, so the process of doing the podcast, I've really enjoyed actually, it's been, you know, doing all of the, the different aspects from the editing, you know, seeking out guests and the, you know, all of that stuff. I've really, really enjoyed being able to kind of create something like that and put it together. And it's lovely when people are listening, you know, it's and, and getting something from it, that was always the premise and it, you know, it remains the premise about, you know, people who might be going through a difficult time and, and what advice, you know, what what tips, what have you learned to share um, that might be useful for other people? Um, and it's just, yeah, it's been the most insane privilege to have those conversations, really. And I've learned so much from it. And I feel like I've I've really grown with it, to be honest. Um, and it's, you know, it's in, in some ways it's kind of a selfish endeavor because, you know, I'm interested in hmm, say this, so I'll interview someone about that, you know, and it's kind of, in a way it's sort of, sort of followed my journey or I followed it in a, you know, um, but I think in terms of what it's taught me, I mean, I don't know, the, the advice that people share at the end is, has every time has been just amazing and really, really informative for my life, you know? And I think, did you ask what the highlights were? Yeah, do you have any real yeah. standout moments? Oh, I don't know about, I mean, the the episodes in the first series it, is David Smith. That one was just whew, huge for me. That was really meaningful. Um, and actually, as it's gone on, you know, this past series just now has has been you know I've loved it so much and yeah uh I, I think in terms of the the highlights I guess you know the advice that people have given you know at the end has been every time really really useful and some of the ones that stick out for me in the earlier stages a few people and you know Elena Nichols was one of them was talking about taking responsibility and that is just a huge thing. And, and that was really, really helpful because I think in, in so many ways we, you know, we we can be victims, you know, and we can allow people, we can put blame on other people. And actually by taking responsibility for ourselves, we can make shit happen, you know, and it's only us that can. Um, and I think the other one um, probably from, it was from the last series was with Claire Pollard, which was 
around listen to the stories that you tell yourself and that's probably what what I would say for someone going through a difficult time and that's what I you know you know you're sort of going to bed or you know getting late you're a bit tired and your brain starts going to that place where you're sort of you know thinking and you know negative mindset and being able to be kind of step outside of yourself a little bit and be objective and think about the stories that you're telling yourself and knowing that they're just stories you know is really powerful that's tying into what you were saying earlier about self-worth well self-worth was a big piece of the puzzle for me actually that was realized after coming out of an abusive relationship during the pandemic um and it was one that provided me with actually what I needed in my life. And this was something that I learned again from Mo Gaudat. You know, he said the universe, I think he said, sends us the lessons that we need. And actually at the time when he said it, I I didn't quite understand. But, you know, from doing work and reading and all sorts, you know, I realized that was exactly what I needed as hard as it was. It was one of the darkest periods of my life feels like a whole nother chapter so I'm not going to go into it here but um, it pointed out what I needed in my life and and that was essentially self-worth and I've I've definitely grown from that and yeah it's just evidence that you have to go through shit to grow I think that's a gosh so this is this is three three years ago or so yeah that happened and I mean, in the time that I've known you, I've known you for, I think, eight years. Like, you seem happier than ever. You seem just more content than ever. Definitely. You seem like you're in a really, really good place. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, I with with all the episodes that I've, you know, that you, there, there have been so many and the, the variety of people you've had on, it's impossible to compare them. But I, I, I think... I really love the advice people give at the end as well. It's, there's always something so thought-provoking. Yeah, and, it, and it's it it something just in a different way, you know. Yeah, it varies as well. It's not. It's not as though it's, exactly. It's always the same, you know. It's never the same. That's yeah. what's so brilliant about it. Well, I think this all brings us very perfectly and neatly to asking you what what advice would you give somebody facing something really traumatic or something difficult and unexpected in their own lives. Yeah, so something that I didn't mention was when I was doing my my teaching qualification, I read a book um, called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it's all about a kind of growth or a fixed mindset. And that was just really, really, really helpful for me at that stage. And I, I started to kind of subconsciously, I guess, oh no, actually it was consciously, started to kind of embed that in my life a bit and and be thinking about when those challenging things happened what did this what did I learn from this you know what, what's good about this situation and it was it was kind of yeah like thinking about the positives and actually you know with hindsight the teaching really taught me a lot in that sense you know there's a there's a strategy used with kids which is like catch the good you know and to this day I use it all the time you know with myself and you know with my colleagues as well it's like you know focus on the good stuff and I think that probably is the thing it's about gratitude and just how powerful that is whether it's writing it down in your journal um or just and I think for me it took some time 
to kind of train my brain to be thinking in that way. And now I feel like I'm able to to be thinking about that, to reframe situations, you know, and look for the good, look for the learning, you know, and I that has been the biggest thing in in my life, I guess, that has really helped me to get get through this stuff and and provide me with resilience, I think is is probably what it is, is to to find the good. Um, so yeah, I would say to anyone is is you know try and try and think about what is good in this situation. What can I learn from it? This rather than you know this is awful. This is shit. I'm such a victim because you know that's not going to serve you in any way. Yeah, it's almost like flip it the other way completely. Even if it feels completely unnatural, that's an amazing piece of advice and one that you've worked really hard. A mindset you've worked really hard to cultivate. Thank sure you so have. much, Sophie. <laughs> thank you you're incredible thank you for the podcast I, you know it's just been amazing and so many people have benefited from it and loved listening to it like I said it's been like the utmost privilege to be able to have those conversations and I've been so lucky to speak to so many amazing people and it's been cool that other people have enjoyed it too so See, there's that amazing mindset coming in I love it <laughs> So this is it for the podcast, certainly indefinitely. Thank you so much for all of my guests who have come on and so generously shared their stories and their wonderful advice. And a huge thank you to everyone who's listened. It has been an amazing experience and so much of that is down to you. So thank you so much. <laughs>